We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Here comes the money. Here we go. Could you see yourself leaving Notre Dame of your own volition? No. No. I mean... Money talks. Unless uh, unless that... uh, that fairy godmother comes by with that, you know, $250 million check. I'd, my wife would want to take a look at it first. Here comes the money. Anthony Heron on 670 The Score. Hours. I am your voice. This is Anthony Heron on Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score. With you from this very moment until 9 p.m. tonight. Talking all things under the Chicago Sports Sun, under the Collegiate Sports Moon, you name it. We will rap about it here between now and 9, and there's plenty for us to get into. So very much looking forward to that. This is uh, you know, I was in the in the midst of spending a lot of Tuesday evenings with Lance Briggs and breaking down the Bears and talking about a bunch of stuff. So that was a lot of fun. Now that we are, we are beyond the, the Miller Lite top draft portion of the season, but still be spending some Tuesdays with you here in the, the not-too-distant future. We'll try to do this on a weekly basis as frequently as we can, but the holiday season is, of course, upon us. So that may adjust the schedule here and there as it did last week, but – very excited to be able to be here with you and, and and spend some time just stretching my legs a bit, giving some thoughts on what's happening here uh, throughout the the sports universe. Like I mentioned, we are in the in the thick of the holiday seasons. So what the yeah thirty days have no yeah yeah last day of November. So tomorrow's December. That that counts as being into the thick of the holiday season. I'm fresh off of the the Bayou Classic. Got to spend the weekend down in New Orleans, which was loads of fun, as it always is. And it was a game between Grambling and Southern, a couple of historically black colleges and universities that um, it's normally a game that decides the, the Western division in the Southwestern Athletic Conference, which is uh, you know, it's one of the more successful HBCU conferences in college football and historically has been. But this year wasn't so much the case. And so some of the things, some of the storylines of the – at the major college level, they're not specific. They're not unique to major college football. You know, even Grambling and Southern, two programs who are prominently, predominantly, normally amongst the the top at their level of football, also going through some coaching transition as well. So it's a you know bit of an odd circumstance that they found themselves in. But even though neither team was great, neither team was in the division championship picture, Deion Sanders' squad, Jackson State, Coach Prime, as he calls himself, they're the ones who've actually locked up the division championship already. So both Grambling and Southern, like Grambling fired their head coach a couple of weeks back. Southern's coach, after they played their spring season at the FCS level, Southern's coach moved on to a different program in the fall at Norfolk State. So both Broderick Fives and Dawson Odoms, they're uh, both, uh, well, Dawson Odom's already at a different institution. Roger Fobbs will, I would imagine, in the not-too-distant future, be at a different institution as well. But still got my weekend in New Orleans. Last time I called the Bayou Classic was up during the the spring, and that was in Shreveport. And it wasn't only because of COVID, but it was because the, the Superdome in New Orleans, which has had 
multiple sponsors over the years I've been calling that game, but the Superdome is now the uh, the Caesars Superdome. And so with uh, with everything that was going on, they were restructuring, they were remodeling the Superdome. So they moved the Bayou Classic in the spring season while it was going through the remodel. They ended up moving that. So got to spend the Bayou Classic weekend in Shreveport in the spring. And then here, just over the weekend, we got back to New Orleans, and it was all kinds of fun. Sean Anderson on the ones and twos for me tonight. I don't know uh, those of you who are listening at home, how many of you have been to New Orleans. If you haven't, you simply must try it. It is like being in, as as far as my travels here domestically, it's, it's as close to feeling like you're in Europe as you can get in the United States, in my opinion. I don't know, Sean, have you ever been to New Orleans? When I went to Europe, it was real windy and cold. And when I went to New Orleans, it was the middle of July. So a little bit of a different windy vibe there. Cold. But, you know, Were you maybe, in like Scotland or something? Or where Ireland. were you? <laughs> yeah, same thing, Ireland. I was with my family in Ireland. Okay, all right, yeah, Ireland, same difference. Yeah, six on one, half a dozen on the other. So, yes, in a, well, I would say from an architectural perspective, there are many parts of Europe that have uh, that have a similar vibe. The weather patterns, I would agree. Yes, New Orleans has a has a weather pattern that you don't see many places in Europe. But as far as feeling kind of that that old world architecture and and laws and rules that are very different than just about anywhere else, it's not named Las Vegas here in the the lower forty eight. New Orleans has a, a really unique vibe, so it is definitely worth the time of anyone who's uh, who's thinking about going down. It's just such a great event city. Also, you know, whether you're talking college sports, pro sports, they they know how to put on an event. They know how to put on a show in New Orleans and the halftime show with Battle of the Bands. Everything was just spectacular being down there for that. So I had a really good time with it. And uh, it was on NBC Sports Network. So I hope uh, anyone who got to check it out enjoyed the broadcast that we put on. Young man named Chris Lewis. Uh, it was his first time calling the Bayou Classic. He called the game with me. And uh, anyone who, who searches my, my Twitter profile at Big Ant Heron, uh, you can search my timeline and see there was a moment towards the end of our broadcast. After the game had ended, we had a few minutes to sort of fill and vamp, and it timed up really well because he, uh, and he's not from New Orleans, but it's, it's a young black man, his parents are black, and they spent a bunch of years together traveling down to New Orleans, going to the Bayou Classic in person, and then they started having kids. So they didn't go in person, but they would continue to have just parties at their house, you know, so after Thanksgiving, a couple of days later, Thanksgiving weekend. So they put all kinds of food out. Some of it just sort of Thanksgiving dishes. Some of it, I would assume leftovers. Some of it, New Orleans specific flavors as well that they would just have. And they would just celebrate and watch the Bayou Classic year after year. So Chris grew up experiencing the Bayou Classic as a, an at-home event with his family. And now that he's in broadcasting, he does stuff with NBC Sports Network, of course, and CBS Sports Network, and you know, all over the place. And so for him to get to call the Bayou Classic for the first time, I mean, of course, it was a pleasure for him to, to work with me, but also just to be on the air doing that game. We had a moment at the end of the broadcast where we actually surprised him that the crew had put together, and actually it, the initial idea came from my guy Lewis Johnson, who you see Lewis all over the NBC Olympics coverage for, for so many years. You'll see him again on the Winter Olympics coming up here in a couple of months. But Lewis had the idea that because Chris specifically had this, this sort of family history of enjoying the Bayou Classic, that we should sort of honor that on the air in some way. And be you know Lewis's Olympic experience, like when they did the summer games this past summer, they made it a point to, since the uh, Olympic athletes' families couldn't be overseas with them in person as they normally would be then they would just do these sort of live look-ins and you know hook them up via you know live you or via zoom or whatever the the connective entity was that they were using so then people could at least look on the television monitor and be able to chat with their family in the moment so it was lewis's idea like let's try to set something like that up with Chris, if we have a moment to do that, because it'll just be a special thing for, you know, how special the Bayou Classic has been to his family and he gets the opportunity to call it. We didn't set it up live, but there was a moment at the end of the show where there was a recorded message from Chris's family. We played it for him live on the air, and it was just a really cool thing to to get to experience that with him. So that, that was a fun time. That was my weekend. And, uh, you know, Bears game was already over, so I had a little bit of extra time just to sort of relax in New Orleans after we got done with that show. So that gives me... Uh, you know, I do have a few extra minutes, I suppose, tonight, like I mentioned, to sort of spread my wings, stretch my legs a little bit, and chop it up with you guys. Uh, Sean, were you a part of, I, I saw 
couple of folks posting the picture, and I heard uh, earlier today, I think Speaks was referencing like producer night. Last night at the uh, at the UC, were you a part of that? Yeah, we had producer night up at the uh, Bowl Suite. It was really nice of uh, Mitch and uh, Odyssey to set that up. And uh, we were up in the like uh, I think South Suite, so we were kind of behind the board. It was a crazy view. Now, producer night is that like a branded name? Is there a sponsor associated with producer night? Is this a, an annual event? Are there are there a number of people who get invited? Are there I think know, gift bags and whatnot? No, there there weren't any gift bags, but uh, the food was free, which is nice. And okay. uh, I, I think start. they've done it before. Uh, Tanny and all the you know Herb who've, who've been here long uh, producing. They, they talked about Cubs. The and old I guys. think uh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah the old uh-huh. guys uh, and Sox games. Uh, I think uh, and, and sweets. But this is my first one that I was able to go to because we had COVID mm. too. So I mean that t- took out an entire year of sports. There was COVID. That's true. That's a good reminder. There was COVID previously that wiped out the opportunity to do some of these things. Well, what was your big takeaway from producer night? I, I mean, have you, do you guys actually ever really interact on like a large, like in mass like that very frequently? No, I mean, usually, you know, we, we, maybe there's three of us here so we can all like, you know, talk at, you know, in threes, but to have like everyone there at one time on occasion. Right. Yeah. But even victory chicken, you know, it's the guys that are on the schedule that get that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like we, we were missing studs and Caesar cause they had to watch, you know, work the, the bulls game was still on our air. Uh, but it was nice to be with all the guys. Uh, it was, yeah, first time, no sponsor or anything like that. Uh, just, I think, Odyssey doing something nice for us. Okay. Yeah, not bad. And then the Bulls basketball wasn't half bad either. That was, uh, they pretty much consistently, especially at the UC, man, have been a fun team to watch. That is definitely the name that that is associated with the Bulls this season. A fun team, an exciting team, in some ways a surprising team. So I'm looking forward to being able to discuss that. Uh, as we get to the, the latter stages of the show as well. One of the things I'm going to have to try to work myself through throughout the night as well will be essentially just kind of my feelings about a couple of different storylines because there's, I don't know, man, uh, I, I'm, I'm still trying to sort of surmise how how I should feel about things. You know, basically a couple of different football storylines. Like this weekend, like I mentioned with Speaks in transition, Michigan, they take down Ohio State. I don't, I don't know what the what the betting line was specifically on the game itself, but I think it's fair to call it an upset since it had been a decade since the last time Michigan beat Ohio State. Both teams were highly regarded, highly ranked. Wolverines took down the Buckeyes, and so now Michigan is in the Big Ten championship game. They're facing my Iowa Hawkeyes. Now, Iowa is – Strong defensive team, outstanding special teams. When it comes down to it, though, Iowa's offense has left a lot to be desired this season. And the college football playoff rankings are being released at the moment, so we'll get a chance to, uh, to discuss that in some good detail throughout the night tonight. But Michigan right now, I won't necessarily call the Wolverines the very last college football playoff hope for the Big Ten because there's certainly some chaos that that could ensue that would end up bringing that about. But for the moment, I would say the the last realistic playoff hope that the Big Ten has rests in, in Ann Arbor. And with that in mind, here's my conflict. Because, you know, I, I work for the Big Ten Network, full disclosure, all that, blah, blah, blah. And called, you know, I host a show on Big Ten Radio on Sirius XM every morning as well. So essentially, like, what's good for the Big Ten is kind of good for me in, in theory. So the Big Ten being in the college football playoff, you know, but by some sort of, you know, whatever, whatever degrees of separation there are when the Big Ten's doing well, then in, in some fashion, since I cover the conference so extensively on television and radio, then it's, it's good for me to some effect. My alma mater playing in the Big Ten championship game, if Iowa – is able to defeat Michigan this weekend, that's outstanding for the Hawkeyes. And, you know, same guy I played for my last two years in college. Kirk Ferentz is the same coach that's there. Guy I, you know, have deep feelings for. Love Kirk Ferentz. Love my alma mater. Got a lot of friends in that institution and on that football staff. If Iowa wins the Big Ten Championship, that will be remarkable. And especially for some of the little tidbits that I laid out earlier on where – they're, they're not a team who has played at a level that you would look at them and say, there's a Big Ten championship team. Defensively, sure. Special teams, no doubt. Offense, not even close. 
if Iowa wins the Big Ten championship this weekend, you're going to have a big smile on my face. But while it's going to be awesome for Iowa and for Hawkeyes like myself, it's not necessarily a good thing for the Big Ten if Iowa wins that game this weekend because Michigan, who is the, the number two team in the country in the college football playoff rankings that are in the midst of being released at this moment, if Michigan loses to Iowa, they would be a, a two-loss team. And Iowa certainly, I, I wouldn't imagine, they're, they're not going to be in, in a position to vault all the way up into the top four as a Big Ten champion. So where does that leave the Big Ten? Most likely on the outside of the playoff looking in. And the Big Ten has hands down, without a doubt, been the best conference in college football this year, certainly the deepest conference in college football this year. There was a point in mid-October where there were five different Big Ten teams in the top ten of the college football rankings this year in the AP poll. It's never happened before. AP poll's been around since any of you listening to my voice have been alive. It's never happened where there's been five teams from one conference in the top ten at one time. That's what the Big Ten was pulling off about a month ago. And there's still a number of teams ranked really high, highest amongst them now that the college football playoff rankings are coming out, is Michigan. If the Big Ten were to get shut out of the playoff, then it's magnificent, kind of like the men's hoop season that we saw earlier this year. You have this awesome regular season, and you potentially get shut out of the playoff. That wouldn't be great for the conference. That wouldn't necessarily be, be a quality result in the macro for the Big Ten. So that's a little bit of my conflict. The, the Bears' conflict I have is, is, is on a much smaller scale because essentially when it comes down to it, I, the, the competitor in me, the competitive end of, of what I'm looking at with the Bears, I'm not ready to just sort of give up on the notion that, that something can be gained, something can be gleaned from the remaining results of this season. Six games to go. I'm sure a lot of you heard folks talking about it throughout the day, last couple of days. Bears are one game out of the playoff picture. There's going to be somebody who's either five and six or five and seven or four and seven like the Bears. One of these squads, one of these struggling organizations is going to make the NFL playoffs this year. Maybe it'll be the Bears. And there are a lot of folks around town who are just wanting and ready to move on from that notion and ignore that even as a possibility. And, you know, even through the lens that it is a possibility, they don't necessarily care about that because it doesn't feel like the Bears are going to go anywhere, even if they get into the playoffs. And I get all that. But that being said, I still get why the Bears should and do have a desire to pursue that. And so the, the talk of, of youth movement and the talk of what's happening in the front office and, and you know, who's, wh- wh- where are they moving on from coaches and everything else, all that, I, I think it, it misses the notion of the Bears in this expanded NFL playoff still rightfully pursuing that as their main goal, that as their biggest focus. And I, I get the, the other aspects of where folks would be looking to move on from this because they haven't been a good team this season. So if they're not a good team, then who cares about them making the playoffs because they're not going to go anywhere. The only reason they made it is because the playoffs got expanded. All that would be true, while at the same time, I think any of us in that same circumstance would understand why the Bears are and and very much so should still maintain the goal of of the potential for success that lies out in front of them. So I'm I'm a little conflicted about a couple of those aspects of things going to Going to want your help kind of working through some of that as we get throughout the show tonight. Going to talk some Bears in just a few short minutes with Patrick Finley of the Chicago Sun-Times. He is up there at House Hall on a daily basis, parsing through all these things that the Bears have going on. So I always enjoy talking to Patrick. We'll have him on in a few minutes. We'll also get into some Bulls. We'll talk to Rob Schaefer of NBC Sports Chicago. Another big win for the folks at the UC last night. Had the uh, the ball-on-ball action going on last night also with the Ball Brothers balling out. And uh, I, I really enjoyed watching them take each other on and and the the competitive end of that of big bro and little bro and and how they were just you know displaying a a competitive love that was out there both of them got in foul trouble because of the way they were going at it too and it was just fun to watch that aspect of it while at the same time the game at large was still a a really entertaining game also because you know defense wasn't necessarily a strong suit of either team on the court last night so a lot of buckets got scored it was really fun to watch that play out 
And there'll be plenty of college football that I'll get into uh, during the 7 o'clock hour as well when we get Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic on the horn. And we'll break down the college football playoff in some more detail than we'll get into for the moment here. And then, like I referenced uh, in Transition with Speaks, Tyler Horka of BlueAndGold.com will be on with me to talk some Notre Dame, all those dollar signs that I was referencing, and Brian Kelly and a lot of you Irish fans and listeners out there who follow Notre Dame in detail. Make sure you stay tuned, and if you have to step away for a moment, that you lock it back in in the final hour that I'm here with you because we'll get into all the details of what's happening with the Fighting Irish. But phone lines are open for the moment. We do have a caller on the line. I'll take a time out. We'll come back, and we'll get a, a discussion going here with, with Ted and others who are on the line. 312-644-6767. That's 312-644-6767. Get your thoughts on a number of subjects, whether it's Bears, whether it's college football, whether it's Bulls. You name it, phone lines will be open when we return, and then some bears on the way as we get toward the latter stages of this hour. I'm Anthony Heron on Twitter and Instagram at Big Ant Heron. This is Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Scope. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. I'm a grown-ass man. You know, I mean, I can I can get stuff done myself. Anthony Heron on 670 The Score. Three one two six four four six seven six seven is the number. Give me a call if you want to chop it up. we got a few minutes before I get to Patrick Finley of the Chicago Sun-Times talking some Bears in just a few short minutes. But we got a couple calls on the line. I uh, wanted to make sure we got them in before we uh, kind of cut the line off for a bit. Ted is out in Berwyn. Ted, what's happening, man? You got Anthony here. And, and all I can say is, is wow. And, uh, and I'm saying that because I just want to thank you, man, for just starting off your segment and not just giving a shout-out, but just showering your love on uh, HBCUs and uh, HBCU culture and HBCU athletics. Um, I appreciate it. I'm pretty sure that there are many other listeners who appreciate it. And, uh, hey, man, I'm 46, and I was introduced to sports radio by my brother-in-law, who's a truck driver for Jewel. Back when I was a senior in high school, the year after, I've never heard it, anyone give that type of love to HBCUs. And I just want to tell you, uh, thank you. As I'm, uh, I attended uh, Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, which is an HBCU. Okay. And for your for your list for your listeners, man, uh, I know you can't have me on long. But for your listeners, uh, I think you did state what the acronym stands for: um, historically black colleges and universities. And uh, these institutions were uh, created for. Uh, freed slaves who, of course, uh, could not attend and play football at the University of Alabama, University of Tennessee, any of those schools, because African-Americans were not allowed to attend those schools. So HBCUs were created for uh, th- that segment of people. And those, those remarkable athletes attended those schools, um, from Walter Payton at Jackson State to Jerry Rice, at, uh, I believe, at Mississippi Valley State, mm-hmm. on back. And so, hey, man, you know I know what it is, and I just want to say thank you, brother, and I appreciate that so much. Ted, man, yeah, no, you you got it. You got it, no doubt. And I really appreciate, appreciate you calling in. I'm glad you enjoyed me being able to open the show with that topic because it's something that for me, I mean, I I was referencing it with uh, with Lawrence a little bit. And actually, I'm in the midst of, since we're kind of, kind of on the topic for a moment here, I'm in the midst of 
sort of compiling an HBCU special that we're going to run on Sirius XM as well. So I, I can, once we get all the details and we're kind of looking to finalize it this week, but some great guests that we're going to have on that special that we'll run on Sirius XM. So you can, you know, find me on Twitter at Big Ann Heron and I can put those details up once we kind of have everything finalized. But it, it's a lot of fun. I've been calling the Bayou Classic for about a decade at this point for NBC. And I was, you know, I was glad Lawrence asked me about it yesterday. I was talking about it a little bit in the midst of the time I was spending in my usual Monday slot that I do with Loho. But, you know, I think the, the point that Ted made there and he attended an HBCU is one that, you know, folks just view it through the the historical lens and, you know, perhaps the 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 curiosity is, well, well why, why are HBCUs still perhaps, you know, the word might be necessary or still beneficial or you name it. But these are still, you know, and I was fortunate enough to be a scholarship athlete. And so a lot of institutions were coming and seeking me out to try and go play football for them. But for your standard student, the application process is still a subjective one when you're trying to apply for colleges. And so there will certainly be certain, you know, degrees of, of entrance that can happen at the university level where, you know, folks might might either it might benefit you to be a minority. It might detract from your application if you have a, a certain name or, you know, be from a certain area of the country or be viewed as having a certain background. But to to still have, you know, opportunities that are available through HBCUs that are there where it's, you know, just they'll widely obviously have those those opportunities for the student body to have black people. And it's not 100 percent black students on campus, but those are certainly widely where the, the student body and the percentage of the student body is there as African-American. Actually, it was we were kind of laughing about it after the show. The kicker for Grambling, Grambling upset Southern in the Bayou Classic that I called on Saturday. The kicker is white for, for Grambling. So he, had, he ended up, he hit five field goals in what ended up being a really exciting game. You hit five field goals, you think maybe the game wasn't that exciting. Ended up being a really exciting game. There were touchdowns that got scored, but it happened to be where the kicker for Grambling State hit five field goals in the game. And so Grambling's white kicker ended up getting the MVP of the Bayou Classic, this great clash between, you know, two of the most prominent HBCUs in the country. But I'm glad you uh, you enjoyed and appreciated me opening the show talking about HBCU football, Ted. Oh, we do have another caller on the line here. We got Dave out on the northwest side. I did mention, we you know, we'll talk plenty of football. We're going to talk some hoops later on in the show as well. So feel free. We got phone lines open for a few more minutes here before I kind of move on and talk some specific Bears topics at 312-644-6767. But Dave, what's happening, man? You got Anthony Heron. Anthony Heron, you are exactly the person I want to talk about. These, these are two things that are in my crawl space. As a defensive player, me and my brother always watch when defensive linemen can't get to the quarterback. Here's my problem. Why don't they put their hands up after certain points? One, two, three, four, put your hands up. I, 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 I think that's a lost art. That's my, that's my one bad thing. And now the second one is, by right, third and seven, um, anytime on the field, you're probably going to run a slant pattern. Why don't the defensive backs, you have that five-yard chuck to disrupt that timing pass? Those are two things I don't understand, and I keep seeing it all the time. Am I wrong on this? No, I would say that to to your first question, I appreciate the call, Dave. First question about defensive linemen getting their hands up. Some players are more effective at that than others. Like, you know, one of the great pass rushers in NFL history who, you know, won't likely be on the field when the Bears face the Arizona Cardinals this coming weekend. But J.J. Watt is outstanding at getting his hands up in the passing lanes. He's deflected and at times intercepted more passes than most defensive linemen in a a great Hall of Fame type career would ever dream of. Some guys are more adept at that than others, but that is how the position is taught is where, and especially I would imagine it should be if Kyler Murray, especially if Kyler Murray is on the field for the Cardinals, that a diminutive quarterback, someone who is smaller in stature, that you do want to try to condense the pocket when you're rushing a player like that and to make sure that as the pocket condenses, you don't necessarily allow the vision of that opposing quarterback, especially a shorter quarterback. It was always the scouting report when teams faced Drew Brees. Drew Brees was really effective at what I call working to find a window, where you're not necessarily, because Drew Brees is only right around six foot tall, he did have a classic sort of overhand release. So Drew Brees wasn't a guy who got a lot of passes 
knocked down. Russell Wilson, you know, he's not quite to the Drew Brees stature, but he's not a guy who you classically see like getting a lot of passes knocked down because not only does Russell in a standard throwing motion throw with that classic over-the-top delivery, but that baseball background, you'll see Russell finding that throwing window with some sidearm action or, you know, sort of a, you know, a 45-degree angle, and he's really effective at finding throwing windows as well. But defensive linemen are taught to, you know, if you get stymied at the line of scrimmage, at least try to get your hands up. The thing is that there's a very fine line with that because as you're in the midst of a pass rush and you, the, the best way to get to the quarterback is to be fully committed to it. So you don't want to be in a position where you initially come off the ball and then right away unless, you know, you're called into. Like there are certain calls in defenses where certain defensive linemen will be tasked with just popping up out of their stance and trying to bat a pass down. But usually, in a passing down, most of the guys with their hand in the dirt are trying to get after the quarterback. So as you're doing that, you're trying to get to the edge of a blocker. You're trying to penetrate. You're trying to work your way into the backfield. And so sometimes, yes, the ball will get thrown by you or whiz over your head. But in the end, there's no way to 100% know with certainty when the quarterback's throwing the football, especially because your focus has to be completely trained on defeating that 300-pounder across from you while he's trying to collapse your sternum with a pass protection punch, while he's trying to drive you into the turf if he can get his hands on you, or while he's just trying to stymie you. You have your focus on one end. Some guys are more effective at being able to see through that blocker and be be able to time it up when they think it's going to be time to try to get their hands in the throwing lanes. Frankly, I was really good. I, I had a really high vertical jump. I was never great. Like I had a few pass deflections in my day. I was never great at just timing up when it was time to stop my pass rush and then try to jump and see if I could knock a pass down. You know, I really wanted to focus in on trying to defeat that blocker in front of me. And then if the moment presents itself, yeah, you want to get your hands up or something like that. But even with that, there have been times where as you're engaged with the blocker and you leap into the air, that blocker is taught to just punch you right in the chest with both hands. And so when you do that, you're high in the air. And one of these big, strong offensive linemen puts a, you know, one of his pass set punches on you while you're leaping. You've got no base under your feet at that point while you're trying to jump in the air to block a pass. So he may throw an elbow into your, your stomach, into your abdomen, or if he actually punches you in the chest with both hands, and I'm using the term punch, it's an open hand pass set punch. But as he puts both hands into your chest, you can go flying across the room. You can be, you know, you're, you can end up having your feet up over your head and you can fall very awkwardly. I've taken some really, really difficult tumbles when offensive linemen have punched me as I've been trying to leap into the air to block a pass. So there's, there's a fine line with it, I guess, would be my point to the call of Dave about defensive linemen trying to get their hands up uh, at, at opportune times. Some folks are, are better at it than others. Three one two six four four six seven six seven is the phone number. We will take a time out here, though, so I can get to my guy Patrick Finley. We want to talk some Bears, and then we're going to talk some Bulls, and we're going to talk some college football. There's a lot on the way here. But for now, got some Bears discussion coming. So much news. It was at Hallis Hall last week. A lot of uncertainty about what's developing this week. What do we expect out of Justin Fields? What is Matt Nagy saying? Is he recovered from all his emotions from last week? Are they basking in the glow of the Thanksgiving victory over the worst team in the NFL? Or is it back to business? We'll get into all that with Patrick Finley next here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. For me, looking in, you know, I just don't like the outside stuff that's going on. You know, um, all the booing and all the, the stuff that I see in social media, his, his son's game, you know, that type of stuff. Uh, I feel like it got to be tough, but for him to come in and still lead us and, you know, not show any signs of weakness or letting that affect him, um, that, that says a lot about him and his character. And, and, you know, for us, for him to be our leader, just to follow behind what he's doing. So I feel like it's, it's, it's tough, but, you know, he's handling the situation very well. That's how it sounded from one of the Bears' defensive leaders, Eddie Jackson, giving his thoughts to the assembled media on his coach, Matt Nagy, what's been happening there with the booing at the Suns games and things there that Eddie detailed for you. But he uh, – Stuck by his coach, understandably so, because right now Matt Nagy is still his coach with the Chicago Bears. So to get into detail on all these matters and more, I got Patrick Finley of the Chicago Sun-Times on the hotline right now in the Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline, home of the world's largest sports book. Pat, what's happening, man? Hey, I'm good. How about you? 
Doing good, doing good. Um, since we've got uh, Sean played the Eddie, Eddie Jackson clip for us coming out of break, though, let, let's start there. One observation I made on Thursday, and I don't know, I don't trust my memory as, as well as I trust someone like you. So I'm, <laughs> I haven't necessarily felt like as, as much you know, frustration and the uneven performances and, and the underperforming seemingly at times that have been here with Matt Nagy that you and I and others have discussed in detail. The, you know, the notion of losing the locker room has, has come up a good bit. And I feel like there's certainly been times where the Bears haven't executed that well. But, you know, the, the Eddie Jackson uh, portion of, of things that he spent with you guys this week, I think that notwithstanding, I'm, just, I'm wondering, have you, in Matt Nagy's time here, it feels like to me amongst anything we would call a strength, it seems like, Whatever connectivity is there between him and the players, it seems like that has been a strength of Matt Nagy as a head coach. Does that seem like an accurate accurate observation? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I asked a couple of players about this last week. You know, if he's lost the locker room, you can't tell. I mean, the last three games they've played, they lost by, you know, what, two points to the Steelers, uh, two points to the Ravens. You know, they won at the gun against the Lions. There's been no moment on the field when you look there and when you look and go, these guys have quit on him. That hasn't happened. That is a testament to what I think he does well. And, you know, when the obituary is written, written about Matt Nagy's Bears career, whenever that may be, I think one of the takeaways is that they hired a guy who'd never really been a leader before. And he mm. turned out to be a pretty good leader. <laughs> the problem is <laughs> that the guy you hired to call plays, <laughs> the play calling, wound up being um, one of the issues. Uh, you know, you can pick apart what Matt Nagy's been doing this year with the Bears all you want, but I think staying connected enough with his players for them to continue to play hard, I, I think you're dead on. I think he's been able to do that. And it it felt like to me, you know, perhaps not the not the Detroit game quite as much, but certainly in the time that Matt Nagy has, has given up play calling in recent weeks here where there have still been some issues with, with timeout management like the Baltimore game or, you know, just the – the, the speed, the rapid nature or lack thereof with decision-making and fourth downs and things of that ilk, it felt to me like that shouldn't be as much of a problem once he gave up play calling. I'm, I'm wondering what your observations are of just Matt Nagy sort of running the the macro portion of the show now that the snap-by-snap play calling isn't on his plate anymore. You know, when he gave it up, he said, you know, I've never felt more connected with all three phases of the game and then you watch him, at least against the Ravens, you know, bungle a couple of timeout situations. I mean, to me, the, the two-point conversion timeout uh, there just was the most unexcusable of all yeah. of them. And maybe I'm just part of Maybe you know, maybe you and I both are part of the generation that just, you know, grew up playing Madden. And we just <laughs> know. I mean, I mean, we know when you go for two because we've done this in this dumb video game our whole lives. We know when you take timeouts. Like, and and to to have your field goal unit run on the field when anybody who's ever played Madden knows that you go for two to try and get up six, and then you have to blow that timeout and and then on defense they really could have used that timeout right. <laughs> because it was clear that they were caught flat footed a couple of times and, and even if you would have used it just to kind of tell your guys to take a breath and calm down uh, that may have made a difference in the game. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, you'd think that some of the more you know CEO game day decisions would would be coming easier because he's not calling in place. But I'm not sure that's been the case. Patrick Finley of the Sun Times with me here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score he is on Twitter at Patrick Finley. The health of Bears quarterback Justin Fields. You know, he was he was out there, kind of visible on Thanksgiving Day, but certainly never padded up or warmed up or anything to that effect. Do you have much of a sense for the the level of work that Justin Fields has been in a position to begin attempting at this point? Yeah, we're going to find out tomorrow. Is my short answer. I asked Matt Nagy whether uh, the rib injury and, and it is cracked ribs. You know, would would hamper him just because part of what makes Fields so special is his ability to take off and run. And, and, and he said, you know, we've got to watch his, his throwing motion too. We've got to make sure that he can do that without pain. So we'll see what happens Wednesday. You know, big picture, I don't see a reason to rush him. Um, you know, if, if he's going to be at 70%, you know, maybe Andy Dalton's a better option. You know, Matt Nagy, to his credit, as opposed to earlier this year, is, is said over and over again that Justin is our starter when he's healthy. To me, the question is, what is their definition of healthy? Is they acknowledge that Fields is tough and that Fields 
you know, tries to convince them that he can play through anything. And that's a really good trait to have. But in what's, you know, seeming, seemingly a lost season, <laughs> um, you know, I, if I were the Bears, I wouldn't push it. Uh, I, you know, especially given that Andy Dalton just threw for 300 yards. And I don't know about you, but I thought he looked uh, to be a perfectly suitable backup quarterback and who's ca- you know, capable of moving them and you know, might be capable of moving them fairly well uh, on Sunday. Yeah, I thought Andy Dalton was capable and un- unsurprisingly so. Like I, I definitely I think capable is a, a more than accurate word, a good performance. Not great, not special, but but good against the worst team in football with no pass rush and very comfortable in the pocket. <laughs> yes, I, I thought Andy Dalton was just fine and if Justin Fields isn't healthy, I completely agree. Rolling Andy Dalton back out there still gives you a chance to win. No doubt about that in my mind. Patrick Finley with me here on the score. The the health status of, of certain other players, I heard you guys asking Matt Nagy about that as well. You know, of course, uh, having Tevin Jenkins and his clock that, that ticks away. Uh, what, what did Matt Nagy share specific to the second-round pick offensive tackle? The Bears, by this upcoming Monday, need to decide whether to take Tevin Jenkins off of injured reserve or to leave him there for the rest of the season. When they take him off by our counts against the 53-man roster, and he's eligible to play in games. The Bears, I believe, are going to do that. Uh, that makes sense. The question then becomes, what do you do with this guy? I mean, mm-hmm. Jason Peters has been pretty okay, uh, you know, at left tackle. He's 39. He is absolutely not a part of your future. But, you know, right now he's keeping your quarterback, whether it's Justin Fields or Andy Dalton, from getting killed, and, and that there is value there. You know, you look at Larry Borum on the other side. I think Borum's been average to above average uh, in his starts uh, since he was inserted into the lineup, and that's a very good thing when you're looking toward the future. You know, the big question for the Bears starting this upcoming Monday is, do you start Kevin Jenkins? Do you play him? Do you just put him you know, in on special teams and kind of let him get his feet wet? I, you know, they traded their second and third round picks for this guy. You know, having an answer on whether he's any good is a pretty important thing to figure out here in the next five weeks uh, after Sunday. And, you know, I just don't know how far you go. I think especially if you've got your franchise quarterback or the person you hope to be your franchise quarterback under center, I don't know that you mess around with his tackles unless you're convinced that Jenkins is better today than either of the two guys you've got going. And I think that's a big ask to, to, for him to be better than those two guys. And especially because he hadn't hit anybody until a couple no. weeks ago. Like, you know, he wasn't padded up during training camp. He was injured his final season in college, and now here he is. He's in, in the middle of an NFL season where there's not a lot of physicality in practice anyway. So how much work has Jenkins even been able to get to try and show his readiness? Not a whole heck of a lot. <laughs> Two weeks ago leading up to the Ravens game, the Bears had one padded practice. He participated in that. Last week, leading up to the Lions game, the Bears had you know two walkers, so that didn't do him any good. Uh, and, and now, you know, we're going to have this week. You know, we've seen him working out on the field before games, and I guess there's some value to that. But you said it. This is a guy who um, opted out, you know, in November at Oklahoma State. I mean, you could argue that it's been a calendar year since the guys had a challenging football practice, and you know, probably a calendar year and counting. Uh, you know, in, until, you know, Wednesday or Thursday of this week. So it's hard to know what you've got with him. I, you know, man, it would be, especially if you're Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, and if you'd like to make a case for your future, it would be awful tempting to put him out there. But, again, you know, you're protecting Justin Fields, you know, whenever Fields gets back. And, man, you do not want to take a risk with that. Do you, uh, do you see the being a game out of the playoff picture? Is that is that any – more or less motivating for for Matt Nagy for the players in the locker room, or I mean, do is that something that he's specifically addressed with just being still mathematically in the picture at the moment? He said that on Monday. He said he hadn't brought it up to his team, and, and good for him. By the way, I, I think it would have been a bad public relations decision to try to sell this team as any sort of playoff contender. What he did say, more or less, was, hey, if we can beat the Cardinals, then let's have a conversation about this. And that makes sense. The Cardinals are the number one seed in the NFC. Were the playoffs to start today. You know, it looks like Kyler Murray's probably going to come back. And 
man, that's a that's a uh, that's a big challenge at home on Sunday. So if the Bears can steal a win against them, maybe we can have a conversation about the playoffs. I don't put much stock in it at all. Uh, you know, I want to say that until Seattle lost last night, the Bears were still the 15th team out of 16 teams in the league, something like that. So uh, they're far closer to the bottom than they are the playoffs. But, you know, Mark Potash, my colleague, likes to say all the time, you know, never underestimate the mediocrity of the NFL. <laughs> like, there are a lot of teams. I, I, I want to say, and, and I wrote this, I want to say that half of the 16 teams in the NFC have seven or eight losses right now. Like there are a lot of bad teams going, uh, you know, going right now. And uh, the Bears are among them, but I think that's about the kindest thing you can say about them right now. <laughs> the Bears are among them. Yes, they do exist in that space. And there, there's a team. There, there is a team or teams, plural, with a losing record right now, whether they're five and six or five and seven or four and seven. Someone with a bad record is going to make the playoffs. Maybe a couple of them out of the NFC right now. So, yeah, I agree with you and Patsy that it certainly shouldn't be ignored for the moment, and especially because there are division games that still lie out in front of them, multiple against the Vikings. Um, through that lens, this Bears defense and what's happening with, with Sean Desai and, you know, uh, Owen Krutz was, was sharing some, some thoughts, some ideas on, on maybe how the, the Bears coaching staff could continue to adjust and try some different things, really on each side of the ball. Do you anticipate any, anything that may continue to adjust? We've obviously seen Matt Nagy give up play calling this year. Sean Desai is in his first year as a defensive coordinator, but do you anticipate anything that the Bears may continue to do just to adjust how their coaching staff actually operates on game days? Not unless they let them start playing with 12 guys or something like that. Uh, it's, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's going to be hard because, you know, when you look at the guys who aren't available for them, Khalil Mack out the year, Akeem Hicks, you know, has been out. Roquan Smith, <laughs> Roquan Smith is their best player. And if he's going to miss the next game or two or three, that is, that is a, a big blow to them. Uh, and, and then you get to their defensive backfield where Eddie Jackson has been, you know, I, disappointing, I think is probably a, a charitable way to put it. I, you know, I, I don't know what Sean Desai can do to mask the fact that he's got one serviceable corner. Like, you know, you can, you know, you can scheme all you want, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, Artie Burns is going to be sought out. Kendall Vildor was sought out for six weeks in a row and was finally just so inexcusably bad at the end of that Ravens game that the Bears replaced him. And then all Artie Burns did was give up a touchdown on the first possession of the Lions game. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, there's, there's not a lot you can do to mask that. And to me, if I were, if I were a Bears fan, that's, that would be one of the more frustrating parts of the season is, you know, it didn't take a genius to know going into the year that the Bears needed a, a second corner to go opposite Jalen Johnson. They really liked Jalen, and as it turned out, they were right. Jalen's a pretty good football player. But, you know, nobody thought that they had an answer opposite him, and they really didn't do anything to, to try and improve that position. You know, they got rid of Kyle Fuller, and that, in retrospect, probably wasn't a bad call. Fuller has not been good with the Broncos. But, you know, as long as you've got a gaping hole there, I think every serviceable passing attack is going to go right after, whether it's Burns or whether it's Vildor. And I don't know what you can do about it, especially when your pass rushes down to Khalil Mack and maybe in the key picks. Do you get the impression that the Bears are are hoping that Darnell Mooney may show himself as a, a true number one receiver? Or does that not even matter because they just have to go out and, and enhance the depth in the receiver room, assuming Allen Robinson isn't going to be returning here next season? I can tell you they've just been in love with the guy since they drafted him. You know, wh- whether he's a 1A or a 1B or a 2A or whatever you want to call him, uh, they're really happy with the way he develops, they, has developed. They love the way he works. And, and I think it's, certainly possible to look at him next year or the year after that as the Bears' number one receiver. The question is, how do you replace Allen Robinson? I mean, you know, you can say what you want about Robinson having a down season this year, and, and he certainly has. But, you know, guys like him are just not available. <laughs> Remember, the only reason the guys got or the Bears got a 24-year-old version of him was because he torn his ACL on the first play of the season and never played again. The Bears were lucky as heck to get somebody of his skill level at the price they got him four years ago. I, I don't know, especially without a first-round draft pick, how you go about you know, trying to put somebody opposite Darnell Mooney that strikes fear in the heart of anybody. Um, and you, know, you look at the receivers the Bears have had this season, other than those two guys, Marquise Goodwin has had one really good game, 
in maybe a couple of good quarters. Um, he's a threat because of his speed, but you know, to me, a bird, you know, isn't doing a whole lot for them. Uh, you know, it's you know, <laughs> if you close your eyes and wake up next year, you know, there might be only one Bears receiver on the roster that you can count on, and that's Mooney. And I don't know how you acquire anybody uh, to approximate what Allen Robinson has done. Yeah, it's going to be a tough market to try and do that in. I guess, fortunately, Ryan Pace is going to probably be the guy still doing it. Uh, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, I wrote this the other day, and, and I do believe it. I, I think that when you play the game of who's more to blame, Ryan Pace or Matt Nagy, I think you, I think you inherently like let one of the two off the hook. And, you know, and. You know, like we just talked about, you know, some of the problems are play calling and timeouts and all of that sort of good stuff. And, and other problems are, you know, personnel wise, you know, it, you know, the fact that they don't have a number two corner isn't Matt Nagy's fault. Mm-hmm. It's the fault of the guy putting the team together. So I, I would be careful absolving either of them of, of responsibility uh, at this point. You know, you know, George McCaskey said in January that the two were tied at the hip. And I don't know that either has done anything to distinguish themselves since Justin Fields. Drafting Justin Fields, I think you'll agree, was a very smart decision mm-hmm. and something that I think can set the franchise up for the next 10 years if everything breaks right. Um, you, know, you know, that is a point in Ryan Pace's favor, but I'm not sure anything's happened since then, including the drafting of Tevin Jenkins, uh, <laughs> that, that we could say the same thing about. Yet, we shall see. We know you will cover it as well as anyone, Patrick. Really appreciate your time tonight, man. Hey, anytime. Have a good night. That is Patrick Finley of the Chicago Sun-Times joining me on the Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline home of the world's largest sports book. More to come here. Bulls basketball talk on the way. We'll do that next. I'm Anthony Hare, and this is The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.